good stuff, right? But you're fighting against an empire in whom the sun never sets. To get that, to get that, that many colonies, that means you got to have the most powerful army in the world. They were the number one superpower at the time. Okay? And we're going to rebel against you. And who do we got? What do we got over here? We got a bunch of farmers <laughs> with pitchforks. That's all they know. That, that, that all they know is farming, welding, all these things, right? Um, so, and we're way outnumbered. So, what do we do? What do we do? Got to find a way. Got to implore for a way. Got to seek a way. Got to seek. A, there's got to be a way to get this done to defeat. This Goliath, right? So they realize, hey, we have, we have a bunch of advantages. Some of the main ones are, they're, they're coming to us in our home turf that we are very familiar with and they're not. Let's use that to our advantage. Let's use guerrilla warfare. You guys know what guerrilla warfare is? It means that we're not going to line up in rows like, like the British Army would, right? And they, that's how they were super strong. They would line up in rows and just, just shoot at each other. And they had so many more. They were so much stronger and better that they would defeat the other, the other side. So when we would face them, it wouldn't work. That ain't working. Let's do sneak attacks. Let's use the environment. Let's hide in the shadows. Let's hide in the forests. Let's use our sharpshooters from long range. And let's take out their native scouts. Now they're going to be lost. They don't know where to go. They don't know the terrain. Okay, now let's take out the officers. They're leaderless. Brilliant plan. It worked. Years later, about six, seven, seven years later, we had the Battle of Yorktown. General Cornwallis surrendered. I'm sorry, it's surrounded. He surrenders. It's over. USA is born. Right? But why did it happen? Despite Everything, despite all odds, it was impossible. It was an impossibility for this to happen. How did they pull it off? Because they implored, because they said, there's got to be a way. Let's find a way where there is no possible way. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And so we're going to be in, uh, in Devarim. Everybody say Devarim. Devarim. Devarim means words. Devar is the word. Devarim, at the I-M, at the end. And it's plural now. Devarim is words. That's the title of the, of the, of the book, Deuteronomy. We're going to be in chapter 3, verse 23. Before that, though, we're going to recite the bracha. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth, and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring, and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Vimru. Parashat Va'et Hanan Devarim 3.23 says this, I implored Hashem, this is Moshe speaking, I implored Hashem, Va'et Hanan, I implored Hashem at that time saying, my Lord Hashem Elohim, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what power is there in the heaven or on the earth that can perform according to your need, to your deeds and according to your mighty acts? 
Let me now cross and see the good land that is on the other side of the Yarden of the Jordan, this good mountain and the Lebanon. But Hashem became angry with me because of you, and he did not listen to me. Hashem said to me, It is too much for you. Do not continue to speak to me further about this matter. Ascend to the top of the cliff and raise your eyes westward, northward, southward, and eastward, and see with your eyes, for you shall not cross this Yarden, this Jordan River. So, some context. Before this, Moshe was commanded to speak to the rock because the will of Miriam was gone after her passing. It was gone. And so, Hashem told him, speak to the rock, the water would come out. The people were complaining of thirst. But he disobeyed and he struck the rock twice. And he called them rebels. Right? So, uh, because of that, the punishment was, you you two, not just Moshe, Moshe Naharon, you two are not going to enter the land of Israel. Okay? Terrible punishment. But that's how strict Hashem is with leaders. So that's why, you know... Um, Leaders are very few, right? There's not that many leaders because it's hard. It's, it's tough. Uh, we get judged more, more harshly. Now, his end was certain, right? You're not going to enter to see the land. Not going to enter. But yet what did Moshe do? He still prayed, right? He still, because you know, think, good things were happening, right? And he said, you know, and he started with praise. Oh, who can do great things like you? Oh, that's how we start our prayers. We don't just launch off into, Lord, help me with this, right? We, we start with, with, with praises and blessings. And then he said, let me now cross and see the good land, right? Terco, right? Terco. You got to be terco sometimes. Just like the Americans, right, that I was mentioning earlier. Tercos, right? There's got to be a way. He's, he's thinking to himself, this got, I got to find a way. You never know. You never know. So when the end is certain in our lives and all hope is lost, should we still pray for mercy and should, should we still pray for salvation? According to Moshe's actions, the answer is most definitely yes. He did. And not only that, but uh, if you listen carefully, Moshe didn't ask to go into the land and actually, like, let me go in there and live in there. He said, let me, let me cross. Yes, I want to go in there, yes. But I want to go in there to see it, to touch it, at least just for a moment. And Hashem said, hey, that's enough, right? Don't talk to me anymore about this matter. Now go up to the hill and, and, and look all around you and go see the land. But you're not going to cross. He still answered his prayer. So we can connect the dots here and, and deduce that Hashem was not even going to let him see the land. But he at least was able to see the land. Wow. All around. He had a panoramic view, 360 degree view. Oh, man. Have you guys ever used that like on Google Maps, right? You could, you could have a 360, 360 view, right, of the actual location, right, live in real time. And if you guys ever see a car driving around with a, like, a, like a pipe on top of the, on top of the car and a, like a device on top, that's a camera. 
That's Google filming for Google Maps. Okay. I remember I was in when I lived in Ireland. I was outside my home. One of the the gentlemen in, in in my congregation came to my home, and I was greeting him. And then one of those cars goes right in front, and we're looking like, what in the world is this? Was a, this was like twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, something. Like, that was a long time ago. We were like, what on earth is that? We we were freaking out. We we're thinking. We couldn't figure it out. Later, somebody told us, we told us, I told the story to someone, they said, oh, that's Google. That, so, you, so you guys are on Google Maps. I'm like, what? So I went and looked up my address and saw the picture, and there I am with my friend. <laughs> In my front door, I was like, oh my goodness, wow. That's the view he had, Moshe had, imagine that, of the land of Israel. Amazing. Now, we're going to learn from the Midrash Shabbat today and from the Talmud and from Midrash Tanhuma. According to the Midrash, Midrash Tanhuma, listen to what it says. One must never say, everybody say never. never. That means never, right? My illness is terminal. My will has been finalized. Meaning, I'm going to die, so I'm going to write out my will. Even my property has been apportioned to my heirs. What is there left to pray for? Never, he's saying, never say that. Rather, even at this late hour, he can, he can and should pray, for God does not discount the prayer of any human being. He never discounts it. He doesn't say, hey, you know what, I'll take your prayer for 50% off, right? But Bogo, I'll, take a bo- I'll do a Bogo sale for you. None of that. It's full price, full value. Your prayer is full value, even at this late hour where all hope seems to be lost. The decree has been issued. We must never say it's over. And it's not over as, as everybody has heard the, the phrase. It's not over till it's over. Not till the fat lady sings. No. Till it's over. Till, till, till it's over. Right? It's not over till it's over. When is that? Till it's over. Till we're gone. Till we're buried six feet under. That's when it's over for us. Right? For us individually. Until then, we pray. You know, it's interesting that in the, in the Torah, we talked about this before, of tzara'at. We talked about tzara'at. Tzara'at, the translation is leprosy. It's not leprosy. It's something that's gone now. There's no more tzara'at because the Beit Hamidash is gone. Tzara'at uh, would be on clothing, would be on people's skin, or on the walls of a home. It was a punishment for slander and gossip. Um, the Torah commands whoever sees Sara'at, let's say Sara'at is here on the walls. You get spots on the walls here. The Torah says and commands this to happen. Go to the Kohen Gadol. Go to the, to the, to the temple. Go to the Kohen, the high priest, and tell him this. Something like Sara'at is on the walls of my homes. Notice a key word there. Something like Sara'at. You are not to declare anything evil over yourself. You can't say, I got Sara'at, guys. I got Sara'at. Oh, no, I got Sara'at. That's, that's it. I, I, I'm quarantined. I'm going to be quarantined. Quarantine. They're going to knock down the walls of my home. No. Don't get ahead of yourself now. Go to the guy that's an expert. 
and he will tell you, is this punishment from Hashem or not? Right? It might just be mildew. Hey, bro, clean your house. <laughs> right? Air it out. Open the windows, man. It might just be that. And you're over here condemning yourself. You just don't know. Right? We're not to punish and declare punishment over ourselves. Friends, no matter how dark it is in the forest, if you're in the forest and you get lost in the forest, which might be pretty scary, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, you can't see nothing. You can't see anything. Right? You're out there in the Sahara Desert at 2 o'clock in the morning. All you see is pitch black. You probably can't even see the, thing, the fingers in front of your face. Right? If you're in that situation, you cannot say, it's over. I'm gone. I'm dead. I'm never going to see light again. And somebody will slap. If somebody hears you say that, they'll just slap you. Bro, just wait four or five hours. Just wait four hours. You're going to see the sun. You're good. Right? You wouldn't say, I'm never going to see the light again. Come on, just wait four hours. Just a little bit of time. Just wait. There's an individual who was a, a, a melech. A melech is a king. He was a king of Yehuda, of Judah. His name was Chizkiyahu. Everybody say Chizkiyahu. Anybody figure out who that is in English? Who? Chizkiyahu. Oh, there it is. There it is. My man. Hezekiah. That's right. King Hezekiah. Chizkiyahu. We're going to be in Yeshayahu. Another Yahu. Yeshayahu, Isaiah 38, verse 1. If you're following along. Yeshayahu, 38, verse 1. This king was a very righteous king. Not all the kings of Israel and of Judah were righteous. Some of them were very wicked, like Menashe, for example. Um, so, Hizkiyahu, though, was, was one that followed, followed in the ways of his grandpa, of his Sav, of David, Hamelech. He followed in the righteous ways. But then this happened. Verse 1, Yeshayahu 38.1. In those days, Hizkiyahu became mortally ill. So, Yeshayahu, the prophet, Son of Amotz came to him and said to him, Thus says Hashem, put your house in order, for you are dying and you will not live. Whoa. We're going to stop there real quick. Wow. I thought he was righteous. I thought he was like following the footsteps of David. Why is this happening? You will never find the answer in the, in the written Torah, in the Tanakh. You'll never find it. You know where you find the answer? Can anybody guess? In the Oral Torah, of course. In the Talmud. Berachot 10a gives us the answer. Why was Hizkiyahu, a righteous king, given this terrible news? This terrible edict of death. Because he refused to get married. Why did he refuse? What's wrong with that? It's not necessarily that. Let me finish. He refused to get married. Why did he refuse to get married? Because he did not want to have children. So he disobeyed the mitzvah of procreation. He disobeyed because he was fully able to have children. It's not like a person that's barren. Okay, and it's not like that situation. So man, that's a harsh decree. I'm telling you, not many of us should be leaders, right? Are meant to be leaders. Harsh decree. What's the big deal? Why did he do that? Why did he say, I'm not going to have kids? Because he had a, <clears throat> he foresaw that his children that he would have would be wicked. He said, 
I don't want to bring wickedness into the world. I'm not going to have children. He had good intentions, right? That's a good intention. You don't want to bring wickedness into the world. He foresaw that that was going to happen, right? From his loins. And did that happen? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. But listen to the response of Yeshayahu to him. This should be our response. I'm sorry, this is a response to us when we think of such a thing. Why are you concerned with the hidden things of the merciful one? Why are you concerned about the hidden things? Those things are hidden. You, you think this is going to happen, and let's say it does. So now you're going to disobey a mitzvah to prevent wickedness to come into the world. You don't know what's going to happen with that child. You don't know if he's going to be wicked and then make teshuvah and repent. You don't know, do you? Right? Why are you so concerned with the hidden things of the merciful one? How many people would do anything, I mean anything, to fulfill the mitzvah of procreation, to have children, and they just can't? It's not like Hizkiyahu, everyone's like, bro, I'm, I would do anything to be in your shoes. I would do anything to, to be able to have kids. And I can't. And here you are, and you're like, no, because I don't want to bring wicked, wickedness into the world. Really, bro? I would do anything to bring a kid into the world. Right? I personally know couples that have spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on doctors and experimental procedures and all these things to try to have a child to no avail. It's hard. And here he is, fully able to, and he's saying, no, I can't bring wickedness into the world. Yeshayahu's like, hey, 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 don't, don't look at the hidden things. Don't worry about the hidden things. You fulfill the mitzvah. Get married, have a child. And eventually he did. You know who he married, by the way? Yeshayahu's daughter. <laughs> the guy that's prophesying to him. <laughs> He married his daughter. <laughs> Let's continue. Verse 2. Yeshayahu 38, verse 2. It says, Then Chizkiyahu turned his face to the wall and prayed to Hashem after hearing that he was going to die. He said, Please, Hashem, remember how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your eyes. And Chizkiyahu wept bitterly. Then it came to pass, the word of Hashem came to Yeshayahu saying, Go and say to Hizkiyahu, Thus says Hashem, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. And not only that, I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. Hold on there. Whoa, we didn't talk about that before. So are you telling me that Hizkiyahu was fighting a battle on two fronts? Yeah, he was already dealing with Assyria who had already taken the northern kingdom into captivity. Now they're about to attack Yerushalayim, right? Hizkiyahu's like trying to defend the city, right? He's like, oh my gosh, all hope looks like, looks like it's lost. These guys already took my brothers in the north. They're going to take me for sure. He's dealing with that. And then here comes Yeshiahu at the perfect time <laughs> to say, by the way, bro, you're going to die. <laughs> what? <laughs> of all times, why now? So he's fighting a battle on two fronts. What does he do? He turns to the wall and he prays and he cries bitterly for mercy for salvation. 
And just like that, Hashem says, Yeshayahu, hey, go back. Oh, okay, I was just there. Okay, okay, let me go back. Now tell him, guess what? I'm going to add 15 years to your life because I saw your tears. I heard your prayer and I saw your tears. You got 15 more years to live. And bonus, I'm going to destroy Sennacherib, the leader of Assyria. You know, you know how he did it, by the way? You know how he did it? If you keep reading it, it tells you. Uh, overnight, Hashem, they're sleeping. Hashem destroyed, I believe it was 180,000 while they're under sleep, the Assyrians while they're asleep. Sennacherib wakes up. Where's my army at? They're all dead? What? He, he panics and he goes back, back home. And then he goes back to worship his God, right, in Assyria. And his, I believe it's his, I don't know, his, his sons, his two sons kill him while he's worshiping the God. Whoa. Can't make this stuff up. That's, pretty, that's a pretty good answer from Hashem, right? For, for, <laughs> only Hashem. Chizkiyahu knew this. Wow. And what did Chizkiyahu do? He got married and he had children. That's Teshuvah. And now I'm going to fulfill the mitzvah. I'm not just going to repent and say, I'm sorry, and then turn around and go back to how I was. No, I'm going to turn around completely and I'm going to right the wrong in my life. Wow. Look, go to verse 22. Chapter 38, verse 22. 38, 22. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm looking at 2 Samuel. No, sorry. Time out. Forget that. Forget I said that. We're done with Yeshayahu. Now, according to the Talmud, once again, Berachot Tene, listen to this. When Hizkiyahu expressed hope that he could muster the merit to overturn the decree, he said, maybe, you never know, maybe if I pray and repent, maybe he'll overturn the decree. You know what Yeshayahu's response was? Bro, it's done. I mean, don't bother. That was Yeshayahu's response. It's a decree from Hashem. It's irrevocable. It's not going to happen. But then Hizkiyahu turned to Yeshayahu and said, um, actually, I have a tradition for my grandpa's house. Who's his grandpa? David, Amalek. This is the tradition for my grandpa's house. Even when a sharp sword has been placed on one's neck, that means it's over. He must not despair from eliciting God's mercy. Even at the very end, you're already smelling the blood. You feel the blood dripping because it's going in. Even then, you're to pray for God's mercy and salvation. That's the tradition I have for my grandpa. I'm going to do the same thing. What is he talking about? What did David do? We're going to go there. Second Shmuel. Second Shmuel. That's Second Samuel. We're going to go to chapter 12. Second Shmuel. Chapter 12 and verse 13. This is what it says. 12, 13. We find it here. Then David said to Natan, I have sinned against Hashem. Natan replied to David, Hashem also has made your sin pass away. You will not die. Okay, we'll stop right there. What's going on here? We jumped into the middle of the story. David sinned with Bathsheba, 
Anybody heard of Bathsheba? Bathsheba? Bathsheba. He sinned with her, had her husband killed, put him in the front line of battle. He's gone. Right? He's guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. Right? He's guilty for adultery. He's guilty for lying, for all kinds of stuff. Right? Hashem then sends Natan the prophet. He rebukes him through a story. I don't have time to get into it. And then Natan says, uh, it was you. You're the, you're the guy. You're the bad guy in the story. Right? What does David respond? What we just read. I have sinned before Hashem. He made teshuvah. With those simple words, what happened? Let's read it again. David, verse 13. Then David said to Natan, I have sinned against Hashem. Natan replied to David, just like that. Hashem also has made your sin pass away. Whoa! Just like that? That fast? And not only that, you will not die. So, if you read the context, it never says you're going to die. It says all these terrible things are going to happen to David. Right? Your son is going to die. Your son in the womb of Bathsheba is going to die. It never says here in, in the word, you're going to die. But it says, you're not going to die. Why bother saying that? If not for a decree of death upon David, he was set to die. The sword was at his neck. The decree was against him to, of death, deserving of death. He committed murder, right? He committed adultery, stoning, right? Just by repenting, just by repenting, pleading for God's mercy, just like that, the sin was passed. And just like that, the decree was nullified. Whoa. David's like, I don't deserve it. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Even when a sharp sword has been placed on one's neck, one should never despair from eliciting God's mercy. You know, it is said that the three most powerful words in, in the English language are I love you. Right? A lot of people say that. I love you. is the three most powerful words. You know that's not, that's not true. It's a bunch of baloney. Right? It's a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> you know that's not true. And some of you might disagree, right? Uh, right? If you're, especially you're, maybe it's the younger ones, maybe they're in love. Like, oh, no, I would love to hear her say I love you. Right? No. No. The most powerful words in the world are, are this, in, in English language are, I was wrong. I was wrong. David said, I was wrong. And look at what happened. A decree was nullified. Whoa. Imagine if more people said I was wrong. Right? You're fighting with the wife. You're fighting with the hubby. Right? You're fighting over the most ridiculous things. Right? We fight over the most. You're, you're like, the, the onlookers, the kids are like, I didn't wear that, right? What to call, I don't know, what to call the dog? We got a dog. What, what, what do we call it? And pff, by the time you know there's a fight, <laughs> there's an argument. No, this, no, this, no, this, no, this. And then we're acting like that. We're like barking at each other, right? right? You're like, bro, really? What movie to watch, right? What? Like, imagine if we stop ourselves, one of us stops ourselves and says, I was wrong. You're right, babe. You're right. And 
just like that. It's gone. Right? Uh, I'm a school teacher, so I, I deal with junior high students, eighth graders. And there's always something. <laughs> there's always something. Um, a blunt object flies across the room all of a sudden. Right? An F-bomb flies across the room all of a sudden. And, and I just didn't notice who it was. And I look, and it came, came from this side, right? It was one of you guys. Ah, it came from this side, right? <laughs> hey, you're not learning. Come on. I was drawing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> See, the first reaction was they're pointing at each other. <laughs> See, human nature, I'm telling you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, who did it? What do you hear? Crickets. <laughs> Nobody wants to snitch because snitches get stitches, right? And then the guy that did it or the girl that did it, it, it will never admit to it, right? But there, once in a blue moon, like once a school year, usually, right? Somebody will say, it was me, sir, I did. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Like, oh, it's all good. I ain't going to punish you, bro. Wow. You, you manned up? Wow. You womaned up? Wow. It, it throws me back because it's so rare, right? So someone will say, I was wrong. It was me, Right? Powerful, powerful words. We're going to move on to verse 14 of Second Shmuel chapter 12. So remember I said that the decree was of death was against his son. The baby in the womb of Bathsheba. Listen to what David does. David, before we read, David decides that he's going to, because he learned there was a decree of death against me. The sword was on my neck. I pleaded for Hashem's mercy, and he answered me. I'm going to do the same for my son. Wow. Verse 14. It says, However, because by this deed you have made the enemies of Hashem greatly blaspheme, so even the child born to you will surely die. Then Nathan went to his house. Then Hashem struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became very sick. David therefore sought God for the child, and David fasted and were and went in day, I'm sorry, went and lay all night on the floor. All night on the floor, fasting and praying and pleading to Hashem. Fast forward seven days, he's still praying and fasting and crying and weeping before Hashem for his child, for the decree to be, to, to be nullified. Seven days later, his servants come and let him know, I'm sorry, king, but the child has passed. So what does David do? He gets up and he doesn't complain. He doesn't cry. He doesn't say, why? He goes to the Beit HaMikdash and he worships Hashem. You know, when we hear very bad news, especially when it comes to death, we say a bracha, even in such situations. We say, blessed are you, Lord, King of the universe, the true judge. He's the true judge. And his judgment is always good, even when it feels bad for us. It's always good. So even in the worst of times, we bless Hashem. He did that. He went to the temple. Then he came back home and he said, let me have some food. He started eating and drinking. And the servants were like, uh, Master, what are you doing? He, he, this whole time, this whole week, seven days, you were fasting. And now you're eating and drinking? And then this is the response. I'm going to go to verse 22. This is his response. He replied, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I thought, who knows? 
Hashem might be gracious to me and let the child live. Who knows? Next verse. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? It is I who will be going to him, but he will never return to me. Wow. Even when a sharp sword has been placed on one's neck, he must not despair from eliciting God's mercy. Even when the kids, friends, the kids seem lost, or a kid, a particular child, a son or daughter, seems lost. Seems like they're just in the, in, in the enemy's hands, right? They're fully enveloped by the yetzer hara, by the evil inclination. Even when the diagnosis says there's no cure, right? Sorry to tell you. Even when barrenness, literal barrenness is certain. When all signs point to the fact that you will never get that job. You will never get that promotion. You're always going to be overlooked and overlooked and overlooked. Even when it seems that the test is impossible to pass, like the star test, right? It's impossible to pass. You're like, what? It's not. It seems like it. But to some kids, it's literally, it's impossibility. You're like, what? It seems like it's impossible to pass this test. My depression, my sadness, is, my, my melancholy is here to stay. It's just here to stay. I've always dealt with it. I've always dealt with this, this feeling of anxiety and fear, of panic, right? Of suspicion. I'm always suspicious of everybody. Right? What do you really want, right? This is my first reaction. What do you really what do you want? What do you, just tell me. Be a front. When it feels like all is lost. When it feels like the exile that we're in will never end. We will never have the third temple. Right? There's a big monstrosity there. It's a big dome there. And then across, across the, the, on the other corner, there's a, there's a mosque there. One of the holiest sites for, you know, another religion. For a Gentile religion and there's always problems in Israel between the Palestinians and Israel. I mean, there's, never, there's never progress. Always a step back. Like it seems like it's never going to happen. You're, you're looking for a hope. Never going to happen. Even when it all seems hopeless. What did we just do on Thursday? What did all the Jewish community do on Thursday? We still fasted. We still prayed. We still cried. Just like David. Just like Hiskiyahu, just like Moshe, we did that because all seems bleak. But who knows? Who knows? Now, we do know there's going to be a third big Hamikdash. We do know Mashiach's going to build it. We do know that. But when? Who knows? But who knows? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we pray and fast and weep and mourn. Who knows? Maybe God will hear us and say, you know what? I was going to come at this time. I'm going to speed it up because of you. Who knows? Nobody knows the day or the hour, right? Nobody knows the time. Who knows? We're going to finish here with the book of Luke, chapter 11. Luke 11, verse 5. 
<clears throat> Yeshua is speaking. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> Luke 11.5 Then Yeshua said to them, Which of you has a friend? <clears throat> Which of you has a friend? And will go to him in the middle of the night and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Really, bro? In the middle of the night for three loaves of bread? You're bothering me for that, right? Because a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and have nothing else to set before him. Then from within he may answer saying, Don't bother me. <laughs> I couldn't be bothered with you right now. Come on, man. It's three o'clock in the morning. The door is already locked. Right? And my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys, right? I mean, you got, you, it's hard enough to, get, to tuck the kids into bed. It's hard enough to get them in, to, to fall asleep finally, right? Got to read them bedtime story. Got to do somersaults. Got to do all kinds of acrobatics, right? Got to do aerobics. Got to do everything. And finally, they go to sleep, right? And then there's this guy knocking on the door. Bro, I'm not going to turn on the light. I'm not going to make noise in the kitchen. They're going to wake up. Really? No, go away. Right? Verse 8, I tell you, even if the friend will not get up and give him anything out of friendship, Yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. What, is, what, what door is being locked? What is he talking about? He's talking about the, the doors, sorry, the, the, the locks to the gates of prayer. And Teshuvah, do you know that we got Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur coming up? We got the month of Elul next month, month of Elul preceding Rosh Hashanah in Tishrei. This is the time where the king is in the field and, and he's most ready to forgive. But even after everything is done, after the gates are closed, so to speak, after Yom Kippur, the one last shofar blast on Yom Kippur. You know that the gates, the locks on the gate, I don't know if you guys have, uh, have ever used those locks. You, know, you have a little key, right? It's a little, it's a little lock, like for a gate, right? So what I do is I have a, a, a fence, a gate for my fence, right? It's a long one. But when it's been kind of bending over like this, Right? And so it's kind of hard to open and close it. like scratches the bottom a little bit, right? So I got to get that fixed. So up here, so now it's harder to kind of put the thingy like this and then put the lock, right? And so what I do is when for sure, like, you know, we're done with you know, the yard work or whatever in the back, I lock it, right? And I, go, and I go back in. But sometimes I'll just put the lock on there like that and then turn it, but I don't actually lock it. Make sense? So somebody can easily just reach over, turn it, pull it out, open the thingy, open the gate. That's how the gates, that's how the locks of the gates of prayer are. Even though it seems like they're closed, even though it seems like it's all said and done, learn from David, learn from Chizkiyahu, learn from Moshe, learn from Yeshua, that hey, he's going to leave that lock unlocked for you. 
<laughs> it seems like it's locked, but it's not really locked. You don't even need the key. <laughs> the key is your teshuvah. The key is your prayer. The key is your weeping. The key is your fasting. If, if, if the case may, if if the case needs, if you need to do so, if it's in such a case, let's learn from from them today that even when a sharp sword has been placed on one's neck, you must never despair from eliciting God's mercy. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Adon Olam, we, we just thank you so much because this is a, a beautiful day, Lord. This is your day, a day set apart for you and you alone, not for our ways, not for our thoughts, not for our, our, our ways of thinking, Father, not for our methods, but completely yours. Hashem, we ask that you would please, that it, may, that it may be your will, that we will be a people that would follow in the footsteps of David HaMelech, of Chizkiyahu HaMelech, of Moshe, of Yeshua, that we follow in their footsteps and understand and know even when the, when the decree is issued and it seems like the, there's a, that sword is on our neck and all hope is lost, in those moments, Lord, remind us that we must never stop seeking you for salvation and for prayer. The gates of Teshuvah and the gates of prayer are always open for us. Give us hope today. Give us strength today. As we worship you, your beautiful day. In the name you shall be prayed. Hebrew.